Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode ten of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. Project kickoff meetings can be intimidating and unproductive. So in this episode, Nima and I talk about how to use the puzzle mapping technique to lead these meetings effectively, so that you can come up with concrete and feasible plans that everyone is happy about. You can download an example puzzle map from the link in the show notes. It's much easier to understand this technique once you see the example. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. This is Hao, and I'm Nima. This time, we are going to talk about another new mental model, which is puzzle mapping. The problem that puzzle mapping targets is kind of a very common problem. I face this most of the time, especially when we're starting a new project, kind of a greenfield project. There's a lot of excitement from different parties. You have people from different disciplines, different departments. Typically, there are data scientists, there are engineers, there are product people, and all these people go into some sort of brainstorming session, an initial session where you're trying to bring out the main ideas, but also the hope is that you come out of that meeting. With a plan of what actions to take next and a division of labor, the sequence of things you want to do. To me, these meetings are typically very scary meetings, not necessarily because of the challenge of the task to be solved, but especially because of how communication, conversation, and common understanding is so difficult in these type of meetings. People can easily get overwhelmed by the magnitude of options, and of course, like I said, people coming from different disciplines, people coming from different departments, they all have different focuses, different depths of knowledge in different areas of the project, and naturally they. End up in a situation when they have to be the advocate for one specific aspect of the project. When they're worrying about one specific sub problem that is mostly on their shoulders to be solved, and they know a lot more about the complexities and about the edge cases there. Puzzle mapping is hopefully trying to address these kind of situations. It is important that you bring the best ideas out of everybody. It is very important that you make sure that different, seemingly small but important details, all these things are being considered. But how do you do it? I think at the beginning we kind of did it like how everybody else does it. Basically, you have two extremes on a, on a spectrum. On one hand, you have the very dictatorship style of running this kind of meeting, which is somebody maybe a project manager, maybe somebody who got paid the highest. Kind Of leading the meeting and say, okay, this is what we are going to do. This is what we are going to deliver. What are we going to do next week? What are we going to do the week after? And then a lot of decisions were made very quickly. And when you go with this approach, usually you kind of missed a lot of perspectives and valuable input. And also people can feel quite intimidated to give feedback. Not the best way. So what is the other end of the spectrum? You have the quite, let's say, democratic or creative side of approaching this big, scary meeting, which is everyone is in the meeting, and then you hear everyone's voice. So usually, this is in the form of brainstorming. Everybody write things on post-it notes. But of course, people coming from different disciplines and have different understanding of the problem and the solution space. So then you ended up with many post-it notes. 
So you start grouping them. But then here is where I think a lot of times things already go wrong. You have to make some kind of translation. You have to make some kind of summarization. So then what happens is that you start losing some of the intricate details, some of the important considerations when you say, okay, these five things are kind of the same. And there you already lose something quite important. And then you end up with some kind of grouping. And then you say, okay, based on these, what are we going to do? And that is usually already in the room. People have different opinions. You can see that some people feel that, okay, I raised that point. But then the way you understood it is not how I understood it. And depends on how big the meeting is or how complex the problem we are trying to solve, how much uncertainty there is, this can result in there seem to be a lot of idea gathering, but then somehow the outcome is something that nobody's really happy about. This kind of lead to another problem which is in this kind of big scary meetings, not only it is difficult to start to get overwhelmed by all the different options and decisions, but even if you take a very democratic approach or creative approach and you try to capture all the ideas big and small, whenever you go through this kind of typical summarizing step, you lose a lot of it because you are making implicit decisions already about what information, what consideration you keep and what you summarize or what you draw. So then a common pattern we saw in that approach is people come out of the meeting. Nobody's really happy about it. Some already feel that mm, I'm not sure we are on the same page. But then if after we hear everybody's opinion and this is what we come out with, I guess that's the best we can come out with. The irony is really striking here. On one hand, like I said, in this end of the spectrum, you try to be as democratic as possible. Gathering all the ideas, we're hearing all the voices. And there's always in the end some step of summarization aggregation as you mentioned that you have to condense things you have to compress ideas and come up with concrete next step and i think the most damaging part is here when people who've been probably also already exhausted typically from a long meeting of generating ideas end up with a situation where they have to pick fights they have to decide am i gonna stand up for this idea or this decision that i know is important or that one how many times do i want my voice to be heard in the room so you end up with a compromise and as it is with a lot of compromises you might end up with a situation where nobody is happy and actually the solution is also not anywhere close to the best that could come out of all the brains in the room those pain points are exactly the reason why we say, okay, there must be another way. And we are going to introduce you to a mental model called puzzle mapping that we really think can allow you to go into a scary meeting and come out with an actionable plan that took into consideration everyone's best ideas. And as a result, people have a common understanding and feel acknowledged that their ideas were really taken into the final action plan. So here's how it works. Ideally, I would draw something here and uh, explain because that's easier, but let's try. Every solution has different components or dimensions. You can imagine a table. Each row of the table is a component or a dimension of a system, and each column is a level of scope for each dimension. If you have this table, then you basically can create 
a overview of different possibilities of scope for the entire solution across different dimensions. And if you have a table like this and you fill it in, you can basically decide, okay, for our first iteration, which level of scope or complexity on each of the dimension we will deliver. I think this is best explained with an example. Let's say we have a recommender system, like a movie recommender or a product recommender. Uh, you mentioned the different dimensions are in the different rows. So these different dimensions are basically capturing different components of our solution. And in the columns, actually in the values in the rows, we have the possible options for each of these dimensions. So let's say, for instance, about our modeling choices for a recommender. There are definitely different levels of complexity and different solutions that we want to try out. Maybe one solution is just based on usage data, typical collaborative filtering. The next solution is using just the content of the data or maybe a mix of the usage and content of the data. This is one area of concern for the whole solution. Another very relevant area is no matter what algorithm you use, what kind of explanation are you going to provide about it? A simple explanation could be other people also liked it. You might go even by providing some sort of statistics or you might, you might want to give it some sort of match score like this is 98% or 97% match based on our algorithm's uh, design and what it thinks of this specific user. Or you might even go much further like what Netflix has tried before in customizing the way that you show a product by choosing a specific picture of this product that you think is going to be more relevant to this specific user and more convincing to them why this recommendation is good for them. And these uh, dimensions don't end there. Definitely your engineers have also different concerns. They might have different solutions or different levels of complexity that come with their solution. Even the scope of the work that you're doing could be another dimension. Are you going to cover all of the world? Are you going to focus on one of your platforms, maybe on just one of your few locales or countries that you're busy with, or a subset of the users that are most important for you? And the other choices could expand this to finally cover all your possible customer base. This kind of table then in one picture provides a summary of a lot of the ideas if not all of the ideas that were discussed in the room. Maybe you can explain now how this general picture can be used for instance in decision making and deciding on iterations towards the solution that you're finding. So imagine you go into such a big scary meeting and you start a conversation very early on after a few questions you can already figure out okay these are the different dimensions of the solution we should consider and then you draw the table on a whiteboard and then as people talk about then you can just put the ideas they have into one of the cells on the table. So as the meeting goes on you're uh, filling in the table and maybe it also turn out that you need to add another the dimension say after 40 minutes you have the table more or less filled you not only have all the dimensions but you also see all the different possible levels of scope ranging from simpler to more complex from easier to implement to more difficult to implement. And then what you can do next, which is a really powerful thing, is that you can ask everybody in the room. So everyone, now this is the overview. What is our first delivery? So you point to the first dimension, you say on this dimension for our first iteration, what do we aim to deliver? For example, going back to the recommender system, in terms of the model, 
do we want to go for a collaborative filtering model or do we want to go for a mixed model already, which is higher complexity? It should be very clear who knows about this the most. And naturally, you see that they start contributing to, okay, we think for the first iteration, which is one month away, the mixed approach is already a little bit too difficult. But then we are quite confident to do that in two months' time. Let's start with collaborative filtering approach only. Then you go through the next dimension, you go through the next dimension. Then what you will have after you go through all the dimensions for the first time is a end-to-end solution that covers all the dimensions of your solution. Also, because when you are talking about it, when you are asking everyone in the room, you already pose certain kind of time constraints. So you have the first iteration scope, you have a timeline, you got everyone's buy-in, and then you just repeat this process for the second iteration and on and on and on until you get to the number of iterations that is useful for you. Exactly. And of course, these dimensions are never complete. You can always add to them. But hopefully during this meeting with all these brains, you've captured the most important dimensions or the most important components of your solution. Now, every solution that you want to deliver, every end-to-end solution should cover at least one cell in each row one option for each of the components. Of course, a full solution is only workable if these decisions are compatible with each other. If there's some dependencies between your dimensions, of course, you have to be aware of them, but you have all the people in the room who can point this out and who can know about this. And this gives you directly a tool for thinking about iterations because now you can visually see exactly the components and choices that give life to one full end-to-end iteration. And as you mentioned, you already try to sort your table, sort your columns from left to right in a way that you go from simpler, more easy to implement to more complex solutions. So you already also have a tendency to think about the simpler solutions first and the more complex solutions later. Yes, and I think the most beautiful part is that it does capture all the ideas compared to the brainstorming approach where when you are grouping the idea, you are implicitly already making a decision to say, okay, what ideas do we keep and what ideas do we drop with puzzle mapping? This is not the case. Yeah, absolutely. By definition, or at least by design, you try to capture all these ideas. You try to put in your table all the possible solutions, all the possible options that came out from your discussion. When you're deciding your iterations and planning, you choose always subset of these. But personally, I believe maybe it's just a human thing. It's just the way we like to think about our ideas. Somehow they are our brainchilds and our properties. It's very satisfying to see that an idea that you came up with is at least written down there. And it's not lost. It never went under the title of that cluster that the idea belonged to, but it's explicitly on the board. And it can be included in any iteration where it makes sense. That itself makes a huge difference in how you feel when you come out of the meeting. A lot of times when we don't do this kind of thing, I have this feeling, and I see this in others also as well, that there's this some sort of frustration with knowing that there's an important idea, there's an important topic that they discuss in the meeting, but it's not reflected in the outcome of the meeting, because we just decided to make an abstraction that loses that discussion, that loses that idea. And I believe with puzzle mapping, you make it much less likely for this to happen. I think also from a business perspective, what the point you just mentioned is also valuable because we have all seen cases where a very important point was mentioned, where a very important idea was raised in a meeting, but then because of whatever happens, it didn't get captured. And over time, people forget about it. And then 
then six months down the line, something happened, and then some people will remember. Oh, this is what that idea was all about. If you would have captured it for the company and also for everyone involved, you don't lose that knowledge. So I think that has a lot of business value as well. Seems like a natural win-win situation where the people who come up with the ideas they feel and and they are being heard as well as that these ideas are captured and recorded always for people who are going to work on these solutions in the company. That being said, also there is no need to aim to cover every possible idea in the iterations that you are mapping. In our experience, actually having enough ideas that covers the first, say, two to four iterations is usually good enough because depends on how fast you do two to four iterations. It will take some time anyway, and also the nature of data-driven problem solving is that by the time you get to three to four iterations, you already learn a lot more about what is possible and what is not possible, but also what is important and what is not important, and how far you can go already with the level. Less complexity and easier to implement iterations at that point. So then, that's why it's important to capture everybody's idea. It's very important to put them onto the puzzle map. On the other hand, you should also not just sit there and really try to push for the ultimate perfect solution, perfect way of doing modeling beyond what is necessary for two to four iterations. I think that's the crucial point of using this structure. There might be a tendency in the beginning to okay, I have captured. These things, so I should find iterations that cover every possible combination, or at least the, the most complex iterations of this. And that in itself doesn't need to be a goal. Planning is useful, but also most plans turn out to be wrong. Knowing this and also knowing the nature of research, in practice, I think what we learn is that it's really helpful to think about the first few iterations. And then once you actually do them, you, you know so much more about your domain and your problem that maybe another puzzle mapping exercise could be useful at, at that point. Another observation is also that whenever you make this whole map of the possibilities, you rarely end up going to your most complex level. And maybe it's also a good check mark to see if you really quickly go to your most complex level, because it's likely that either you are jumping to complexity too fast, or if not, you might have really underestimated the set of options and the level of complexity that you can go towards. So maybe similar to OKRs, it's a good rule of thumb to check if you go to about 60 to 80 percent of the highest level of complexity or the highest level of quality that you were imagining when you started planning the project. And usually that is already good enough. Another little pitfall of using puzzle mapping is that when you think about I'm gonna order my ideas from left to right, from the least complex to the most complex, of course you're gonna end up with situations where you actually don't quite know the exact complexity of two different solutions, or you don't really have a huge preference from doing solution A compared to solution B. It's good to be diligent there. It's good to think about making it more and more accurate. But also you should remember that this is just a tool for planning and for Capturing your ideas. If at this moment, based on the best information that you have, you really cannot distinguish the level of complexity of two solutions, just put them on two cells beside each other in your table, and the output of your work is typically gonna be good enough and informative enough for you to move on. Also, I think something really important. Is always remember to check feasibility. Just because you have two cells next to each other in terms of complexity or how easy or difficult it is to implement, it doesn't mean that the jump is small. It doesn't mean that the jump between those. Different levels on the same dimension are equal. So it's really important when you are going through the planning of each iterations to really check that at the end. 
So one way you can do it is that you point to all the dimensions, all the cells that the first iteration covers, and then you say, okay, this is the scope of the first iteration. Right now we plan for one month. Does that seem feasible? Do we have any red flag? And then you do that for the second iteration. You do that for the third iteration. And also it is okay and advisable to keep some dimensions at the same complexity level between iteration. So what that means is that you don't need to go one level more complex or more sophisticated on each single dimension when you go between iterations. It's okay to keep a few of the di dimensions the same, so you don't do anything about them in the second iteration. For example, you don't try to go from others also look at something into a match score when you go from one iteration to another if that is not feasible or does not fit in well with other things you plan in the same iteration. You talked about feasibility and doing this check on each iteration and that in itself I think is probably a very necessary step. It often also results in some sort of refinement about your thinking about your iterations and I believe in a lot of cases can result in thinking about a dimension that you were missing for instance because that is the dimension that might make it clear why something is or is not feasible. And the other point you mentioned about keeping the complexity the same in some dimension for some iteration is again a crucial one that is preventing this way of thinking that in each iteration every component should get more complex. That's definitely not needed. Your solution can get better if you make advancement in your key components, but if you do not need to add complexity in some dimensions, of course, it's more logical to keep them the same. And also, don't forget about evaluation. Yeah, that's a super tricky one. Because when you think about your dimensions, typically you're always focusing on components that build your solution. But also one of the most important components of your work, as we try to argue at least in the last few episodes, is how you evaluate your work. And it's very useful, even though maybe not natural, to also think about your evaluation in different levels of complexity. Especially it makes sense if you're developing your solution in iterations that go closer and closer to your desired state. In those cases, your evaluation also doesn't need to be the most accurate in your first iterations. Practically, a lot of times, you cannot have very accurate iterations in your first evaluations, for instance, because you need to build some infrastructure for it or you need to gather data for it, which takes time because you outsource it somewhere. I think it's a very good practice to even try to include evaluation as one of your dimensions if it doesn't come naturally. But from the times that we did it, naturally evaluation become one of the components and one of the dimensions. And at least one or two levels of complexity there seem to be very helpful to think about. Yeah, I agree. And last but not least, you might be hearing all this, and especially if it's your first time, you might be thinking, okay, how many dimensions do I need to think about? In our experience, even you are talking about things that will end up being used to serve live traffic of millions of users, typically you see somewhere between five to nine dimensions. We rarely go beyond that number. Yeah, that's my experience as well. So we talk about puzzle mapping in this episode and tradition of the show. What is a practical takeaway that our audience can use tomorrow in their daily work? This time it makes sense to suggest puzzle mapping. It might come awkward a bit in the beginning, but I really suggest to use it if you're going to a meeting with a group of people, especially in the beginning stages, in the planning and brainstorming stages. You might want to introduce this as... I have this really trivial, I have this really simple solution, let's just try it out. Because in the end, you're just going to end up drawing a table on the board. But 
I think it's going to be a very good exercise, if you can do with a group, to try to identify the most important dimensions of your solution and try to put your ideas there into different levels of complexity and see what comes out of this meeting and how does it differ from maybe the previous time you had a similar exercise. Yeah, and I would just like to add that not only at the beginning of the meeting, but this is also very helpful if you feel you got stuck somewhere in the middle of a project or the complexity suddenly grown too much to handle. This is also a great tool. There's more motivation for doing things a bit differently during that time. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you very much. This is another episode of Naked Data Science. See you next time. See you next time. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills, and we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show forward slash webinar. That is nds.show forward slash webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day. Thank you.